Welcome to the first episode of Pop Culture Hangfire. The podcast where we catch up my friend Gabe on everything he missed while being homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world, where we go year by year introducing him to what was out there during those formative years, and where we reignite the, um, the fuse in his pop culture knowledge. All right, Gabe. The year is 2002. Friendster is the most popular social media site on the internet. Never heard of it. Firefox Beta is has just been released. Ooh. Lance Armstrong has been disqualified from the Tour de France due to doping. That one's upsetting to me. And uh, minimum wage was... Uh, in the United States with $6.75 an hour. Isn't that insane? All too, all too familiar. That's fucking crazy. Where are we in 2002, Gabe? Where are you in 2002? All right. So in 2002, I believe I'm living in Rancho Cucamonga. So I'm in Southern California. Let's think. That's got to be just starting high school or... Or just about to start, just ending middle school. Okay, these are formative years. Figuratively, figuratively speaking, of course, because it's all homeschool. But right, right. But that's the that's the area. Okay, I, on the other hand, am I'm stationed I'm stationed in Camp Pendleton. Shout out to Camp Margarita for uh, for giving us those uh, decommissioned barracks for us to fucking sleep in. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's 2002. So 9/11 happened. And uh, we are basically in uh, QRF, the Quick Response Force, uh, preparing to respond to any uh, attacks within the nation, but also preparing for potentially an invasion into Iraq. So this is us getting ready for war. Um, you know, Libo on the weekends, going home on the weekends, going down to Mexico on the weekends, staying in Oceanside on the weekends. You know, that's basically my 2002 completely just you know living uh, my best life right <laughs> i was gonna say it's good to hear some things never change on pendleton because uh, i i never got to stay in camp horno because our barracks was condemned <laughs> but uh <laughs> but going to mexico that did change absolutely not i mean presumably it wasn't completely off limits yet or we, or we were just oh no know. we were told not to go down to mexico <laughs> yeah, yeah were you told not to go down or was it like it's actually going to be a problem I mean, some guys got in trouble for coming back, you know, and getting stopped by the border police. Right, right. So that was a thing. Like our 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 group. So here's the thing. The great thing is that um, our group didn't come back as a as a you know as you know eight heads deep, you know, yeah, with the fresh haircuts and yeah, no, 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 no. At this point, it's, you know, it's Friday night that we, we go in. So our, our hair has grown a whole week since our last haircut. Um, and, you know, 50% of the, of the Marines is Mexicans and Latinos. So, like... This is true. Yeah. So we were coming back, you know, in groups of two, you know, for the most part, not, you know, shirts shirts not tucked in. We were, we were, uh, we could pass. We could pass for civvies. Fair. 
but yeah, so that was that was 2002 for me. Uh, just waiting, uh, right, waiting for the word. Okay, so movies that are happening in 2002. So all right, hit me. Uh, Beautiful Mind won the Oscar for best movie. That was the um, um, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe movie. Uh, this this is basically for you. Star Wars Two: Attack of the Clones comes out. Uh, what what are the odds I saw that one in theaters? Two thousand two, probably zero. Oh no no. <laughs> well, because I mean you're in you're 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 at an age where potentially Star you might... Wars always makes the cut. Uh, it does it. Okay, all right. So that hundred percent. I knew I had put this in here for a reason. Then. No, I appreciate that. That one definitely. Those are so. Some of my some of my favorite memories were the things that I did go specifically to see, like Star Wars. That's one of those ones where I didn't wait in line like all night or anything like that. But like you definitely showed up a little early, got in line, you know, had, you know, this was in a time when you like you could you couldn't I don't think you could get your tickets in advance, you know, unless somebody was able to go buy them. So you had to wait. Oh, to get yeah, your you had to. There was none of this online ticket purchase. So I had to like we had to go wait in line for tickets, and so you got there a couple hours before the movie to make sure that you could get your tickets early because first come first served for seats, no saved seats either. Oh wow, what a different experience! Yeah, yeah. I so I I remember waiting in line for the Phantom Menace, the two hours at the at the Grom's Chinese Theater back when it was called the Chinese Theater, and yeah, it was like a two three hour line wait to get into the movie. Uh, yeah. I did not do this for for Star Wars uh, Episode Two. I did not do this for Attack of the Clones. I'm not gonna lie. This is something I caught much later. And when I say later, I mean like a month or two later when the, when there were no lines. Right, I had to die down. Okay, I, I figured that was gonna be up there. The next one that we have on the list is um, Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers, highest grossing film of 2002, by the way. That's it's for good reason. Where was that? People... Was that on your radar? Was that okay to watch? Yep, yep. Lord of the Rings made the cut. So that's another. I was gonna mention. I'm glad this is the same same year because I was thinking about it and I didn't want to. I didn't want to say anything and and jump years on it. But that was another. That's that's another one of my fond memories of like waiting in line to get the tickets because there was this little. Um, there was we would go to the theater and like I still have like. I still have fun memories. 2020 was was rough. I when I thought that they were gonna, I thought like, movie theaters might completely go out because I have such fond memories. Southern California, it's hot, so hot, and going to a dark, cool, very well air conditioned place for like you know, the ten hours it was gonna take to watch the Lord of the Rings movie. So you're getting your money's worth out of that ticket, and uh, it was fantastic. And that was another one that was like this was a good series of years right here when you had the Lord movies coming out star wars movies coming out because you always had something to look forward to coming out movie wise so that was another one this was like this was like a big time deal for me this period and and on top of that right you're getting access to everything you're no Mm -hmm. longer being denied i know what's up oh so that's awesome uh but yeah so lord of the rings was the highest grossing film Uh, star wars actually has been the seventh highest grossing film of that year yeah, um, it feels like uh, expectations might have dropped a little bit on uh, on two have, versus one. Might have <laughs> dropped a little bit. Um, a couple other high-grossing films. Now, I, I don't want to talk about all of them because I want to save some for the next episode. But yep. like uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, top three. Um, Minority Report, number five. 
I think I might have seen Minority Report, too. I'm pretty sure I saw that. I don't know how that one got in there. That was probably my friends. That's probably one of those ones. Like, again, we're at the point where I've got, like, a a little bit of leeway to, like, do stuff. So, you know, you've got friends. You can go. You know, you can kind of you can kind of slip out. Yeah, I I actually recently rewatched it. I want to say in the last year. And it's 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 as good as I recall. It's not a movie that I'm going to go out of my way to watch again. It just happened to hit me in the right moment for me to want to rewatch it because I think I wanted to watch uh, Colin Farrell because he's a young actor in that one. He's like the um, the antagonist or who you think is the antagonist until the reveal yeah. happens. Uh, but it was an interesting story, right? Uh, future crimes, basically. The equivalent right. of Jean-Claude Van Damme's Time Cup. Just saying. Putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was definitely an interesting concept. Television, we have um, some of the top shows of 2002. CSI, Friends, and Joe Millionaire. Do you, did you watch any of these shows? So... I think the only one I've seen really any of, and it's been since then, would be CSI. And I couldn't, like, I don't know which one, because mm. there's, like, several, you know? This is the original but, one. This is the original one. Okay. Joe Millionaire, I, I don't know why that's familiar. I mean, obviously, I know of Friends. I haven't watched it. I'm with you on Friends. I was aware of it. I mean, I can probably name all the characters, but it was never a show I watched. It was just everywhere. CSI yep. was CSI was not a thing for me. And Joe Millionaire, I just remember it because it was like the, it was the dating show where you, where the girls thought they were going to be dating a millionaire, but it happened to be a not millionaire. <laughs> right. Cruelest, what, a good, what a good way to, what a good way to set up for disappointment. Cruelest joke in history. So in 2002, um, we had uh, two big, and I say big and only because of, of uh, pop culture, right? Uh, two big shows end their um, their run, right? So Felicity. I never watched Felicity, but I know that it was a big deal. Like Felicity was a show that people were watching, and that was the season finale in 2002. I knew a girl named Felicity. Okay. Which I think is the most interesting part of that because it's an interesting name, but never saw the show. Never met a Felicity. And then Ally McBeal. Does that... Was that a... That's another one that I... I, I you know what? Someone could have said the name, and I'd been like, oh, yeah, that's a TV show. No idea gun to my head right now i have no idea what what that's about that's funny so the one thing i remember about, about ellie mcbeal was the lead actress right calista flockhart i remember that two things if i recall two things happened on that show that were groundbreaking right so i think that was the first show that had a uh, two girls kissing on primetime television i mean that's historic right there right and I, th- I feel like I missed out. And I think they were also allowed to say one swear word on national television. And they were the first ones to do that, too. Like bitch or, or shit or something like that, I think. Like one per episode or? No, no. Like they were the first ones to be allowed to do it because of like. Or just ever? Yeah, because of the scenario and how mm-hmm. the word was being used. It was then allowed to be used in that manner. And they were, it was, you know, like groundbreaking. At yeah, the yeah. Time. No, that is. But I, I, I do. Re- I always wonder about the rules for that. I do recall watching the show, and I, I, I think I enjoyed it, but I've never gone back and revisited. I think it has to do with like how you use it, like you, like let's say the word penis or dick, but you're talking about like anatomy as opposed to like right. that person's a dick. It's like a medical show versus a probably yeah. 
So yeah, so so those two shows ended in 2002. Now shows that started that year, you're gonna. These are I'm actually excited to talk to you about. Uh-oh. Uh oh. American Idol premiered in 2002. Wow. Right. Why does it feel older than that? Or just I think we don't. I I just don't realize how far back 2002 is. I think is the problem. It's 19 years, bro. Like it's almost, it's almost old enough to drink. There are children right now listening to us. <laughs> I'm just gonna build an entire audience for us. There are children right now listening to us that were that that weren't born when uh, American Idol came out. Just putting it out there. I believe it. Uh, I was. I, I think I remember watching the first season. I remember the winner. Everybody remembers uh, Kelly Clarkson. Right. But that's about it. Though. I I never went back. I I was never a fan. I've been to events where Kelly Clarkson was like one of the you know features. Well, you got me beat. Never seen her in person. The Osbournes aired, premiered in 2002. The, I would say it's the very first celebrity reality TV show. I think they're the ones who paved the way for the Kardashians and like the uh, Jessica Simpsons and, and all of those out there, the Paris Hiltons. And I feel like it, you, you picked the right person to pave a broad road through uncharted territory. Yeah, and this was MTV. And... Uh, but but you also have to remember too, like uh, at this point, Ozzy Osbourne is not at this, not even in no. like he has. It's not even plateau. He's pretty much kind of disappeared, right? Like he's not. Yeah, yeah. He's not. That's like what your parents, like, listened yeah. to when they were rebellious. Exactly. So I remember, I remember that show, and I and I think everybody had like a wake up call of like, wait, this is Ozzy Osbourne, you know, like the the Prince of of, of Darkness. So I I thought it was an interesting. Um, I want to bring up and I again it was it was an interesting show to watch for because now you look at it and they're everywhere but back then you're like oh my god this is like you know uninhibited access to to the Osbournes I wonder if it was more authentic at the start because like it's got to be more curated as time goes on you feel like and I'm sure it was somewhat at the start but I wonder if there's like a it's got to be a sliding scale right Oh, you mean like back then they kind of they did more editing and less story writing, and now it's like we we need yeah. to we need to put them in scenarios. Yeah, I, I honestly let's be honest. Like I think you could put Ozzy anywhere, and I don't think you got to write a story. I'm pretty sure shit's gonna happen. You know, like he's a character. He's an actual character. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, and I think it revived his career a bit too, right? I mean, it put him back on the map again. Yeah, I think it absolutely had to do that because like he definitely became more relevant. You know, in terms of the conversation and again 19 years later he was already old then he's still alive oh god for the record that's uh, like those lord of the rings movies i just saw something with like uh uh ian holm bilbo mm-hmm. and he was uh you know he was he was the old guy then and it was like a happy birthday to him like it just happened within like the last week and i was like oh my god you know what's funny i listened to the onion podcast and it's the one from the uh from the uh, other two hobbits, um, um, Mary and Pippin. Mary and Pippin, yeah, they do a podcast together because they've been lo- lifelong friends since the movies, and they yeah. just they just kind of hang out and talk. And they had um, they had Sean Austin, Sean Austin, yeah, they had yeah, him yeah. on, and they had Colbert on. And Colbert's that, like a uh, isn't he like a super like uh, he is? Lord I of think the Rings nerd? I think he's recognized as like one of the top two Lord of the Rings uh, historians at this point. <laughs> Yeah, he did that bit on TV. I remember. Where yeah, they were doing trivia stuff, and he freaking blew it out of the water. Yeah, no, there was this, there's this great uh, 
there's this great James Franco interview where he calls him out and wants to do a, a Lord of the Rings off and uh, Colbert just destroys him to the point where like Franco almost apologizes for you. I haven't even thought he could ask him a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, actually, uh, when Mary and Pippin were on his show, they did give him a question that stumped him. Oh. And that's how it led to him being on their podcast. Dang. Yeah. Uh, if anyone was going to stump you, I feel like if, if Mary and Pippin ask you a question, you dude, don't Peter know Jackson answer, couldn't like... stump him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the man knows his stuff. Man, while we're on the subject again, I was I recently looking at those the movies again too, and just thinking about like how crazy it was, how, like how well they hold up. You know, like the amount of effort those guys put in to doing something, like helicoptering up to a mountain for a scene so you could just walk through. Like nowadays, they just CGI that stuff, and it'd be impressive. You know. Well, the other thing, too, that you have to take into consideration is that all three movies were shot back to back. And in some of the interviews that I've read is that uh, when they were shooting part one because of weather or whatever conditions happened, they would like sneak in a scene for like the third movie. And, you know, like they would just they would they would do the filming and production of it and just keep it there until they could use it in the third movie. So I was like, how impressive is that? I mean, that's how far ahead they were thinking, you know? While we're on the second movie, too, there, and while we're in the year, at least, so the two towers, there's that there's that battle, right, at Helm's Deep, you know, the fortress. Mm-hmm. They had that, that epic battle, and there's all those there's all those uh, those big orcs, right, the Urukai. Mm-hmm. So a trivia fact for the movie was that they they had hired like everybody that was tall as extras. They had all the tall people, and they didn't have enough of them <laughs> to play these guys because the Urukai were these big. They were supposed to be like you know over six foot. They were like the superior orc, right, that had been bred, the warrior. And so they got, they had to get a bunch of extras that were shorter than six foot and like kind of, they used perspective, right? They just put them in the background. You couldn't really tell that they were short. Mm. And those guys got the nickname. They were the Uruk low (laughs) because they were all the short guys filling in the scenes in the background fighting. That's nice. (laughs) Can you imagine they had, they like cleared out a whole area of people being extras over a certain size because that's how crazy that movie was. That's great. Oh, uh, and this one's gonna hit you because I know you've been re- you've you've started watching the series, but The Wire came out in two thousand two. Oh man, talk about something I was way late to the party too, but like so good, so good, dude. Uh, HBO dude was on a roll for a while on like just holding it down between Oz, The Sopranos, The Wire. Um, they were, you know, I, Trey May I think was a really good show too. But they were they were definitely holding it down. And actually, speaking of the wire and speaking of two thousand two, um, Michael K. Williams, um, Omar Little. He uh, he recently passed from uh, from uh, it seems to be a overdose. So kind of sad to to talk about it because he's such a great actor. I had just seen him in Lovecraft. Uh, he had a pretty good role in there, but. He was good in everything. He was good in everything, and uh, and he was amazing as Omar in The Wire. I mean, to have such a strong character and a gay character in 2002 as a as a lead. I mean, the dude was unstoppable. Well, yeah, and, and then as as a as a character that was like not stereotyped, like he was yes. gay, but he wasn't stereotyped. Because I'm sh- I guarantee you, like at the time, I'm sure I wasn't as cognizant, but if they had him on TV, they had to be like your stereotypical right that would make it more effeminate probably and and like omar no nope omar coming no <laughs> omar coming yeah no it's uh sorry to hear about his passing yeah 
Yeah, I saw that, and I and I didn't even I I, I had not heard about his uh, his problems with with drugs before. I mean, he was one of those guys that seemed to have kept it under control, or at least kept it away from the media. You know. Yeah, everybody's got their demons. Like the same thing. Like I mean, the link there, Anthony Bourdain. Like I saw that the stuff with the two of them together, and that brought that back because like you knew he'd had problems. You like you knew Bourdain had had a history, but yeah, like that just goes to show. Check on your friends. Yeah. That's actually a very good point. Speaking of deaths, then since it's a ter- it's a uh, transition that wasn't on purpose, but uh, we can talk about the people who did pass away in 2002. Uh, again, a connection that I have with it, uh, and then that we've talked about him. But Simo Hauha, I am a fan of his. I think he he uh, he is the greatest sniper of uh, history. During 1939, the Winter War for Finland against Russia, he is believed to have um, confirmed over 400 under 500 kills in a four-month war. On, um, He's a busy man. He was a, they called him the White Death. Uh, unconfirmed, they're saying up to 800. Which I'm just like, that's insane. But I think I think because of our, uh, you know, not just military, I think Marines just seem to fascinate themselves on on like not I don't want to say famous. Right. But almost infamous snipers at a, at a certain point. Right. Because it's 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 a it's an obsession with the the craft of shooting because that's so interwoven like the every Marine rifleman like it makes it like it doesn't matter what your job is like even if it was an infantry like. A Marine's going to uh, brag about shooting if they talk to anybody else from any other branch. Yeah. And what do you have to do to shoot? Oh, yeah. And uh, and first, we always highlight the Marines, right? I think that on everybody's every Marines for like a uh, top sniper is is Hatchcock, right? I, I think everybody's that's it. And then you and then you allow yourself to accept and branch out and be like, OK, well, you know, Chris Kyle was OK. He was cool. You know, he was a good sniper. And, you know, once you go down that uh, rabbit hole, that's when you start to learn about the, the Russian great snipers and you come up to the Finnish, you know, Simo Hawa. And, and you know, and um, again, a great story. The the week that the war was over, he was shot in the face and went into basically yeah. coma, woke up like a couple of days after the war was over. Um, he was decommissioned. He went back to being a farmer, lived until his 80s, you know, and died of natural causes like all good like you do when you get shot in the face exactly wait like you do what a monster so yeah so he passed on uh lane staley do you know who that is no lane staley was the lead singer of alice in chains were you a fan of alice in chains that's yes there's a there's a there's one of those situations where i would definitely so at this point i'm gonna listen to the rock stations whenever I have control of the radio, but I'm just going to listen to what's coming on. And Alice in Chains was definitely a regular feature in the Inland Empire. Oh, yeah, I figured. I figured. But yeah, he passed away. And so when you were getting into Alice in Chains... Is I when, know, right? Is when, <laughs> is when basically it ended. And Although then, with music, that tends to happen far too soon. It does. We have too many good ones that don't that don't make it. And then for me, growing up, like in the 80s and the early 90s, my family and my brothers actually were deep into wrestling. So, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, all these dudes from the 80s and 90s were were storylines and plots like 
interwo were interwoven into reality. Like you believed that, that these individuals were these characters before it became, you know, all too obvious that they weren't. My brothers and I used to love watching them, man. And and you had some of the some of the best characters that, that live on. Like to this day, Roddy Piper is still one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Looking back, wrestling is definitely one that I feel like I missed out on as a cultural touchstone. Okay, that that well, that's good to know. That's good to know. All of my friends have some kind of like, you know, first of all, there's the generational gap of like, when did you watch? Because like, even within like a few years, you could have changed like who the main players were. It seems like you know, mm -hmm. and who was in and like, you know, and so there's this there's this distinction of like what had been going on when you started, even by just a couple of years. I have friends that are a couple of years apart and they've got a completely different pantheon of like who they liked in wrestling. Yeah, it changed a lot like mid 90s and on, but in the beginning like you you know like uh WWF and and the McMahon family, they really invested into their characters like you weren't switching them out. You know, like you look at the later ones and they went through a few transitions where they were they were known by different names until they found their their niche, you know. But right. uh but anyway, so 2002 the the reason why I bring it up is because there was a wrestler uh, who went by the name of British Bulldog, Davy Boy, uh, Davy Boy Smith, and he passed away in 2002. And he was a really, really awesome character uh, who went through a few different phases himself. But uh, I remember when he passed, and I was like, "Oh man!" Like, because it's one of those things where you're like, you know, I was, I was in my early 20s, and you know, this was when I was 10 years old that I was watching it. So like, hearing him pass away, especially because he passed away like at 39 from a heart attack. And he was part of one of those families that had been in wrestling for generations, you know. So like, he, you know, like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like he was new to it. Uh, and I think that was the difference too back then. A lot of them were generational. Uh, uh, their fathers were were known wrestlers in the wrestling circuit before it turned into what it is now, you know. Yeah, before the big television sensation, yeah, you know, yeah. like the international fame. Yeah, but yeah, so he he passed away. Uh, so moving on to music, uh, since we were talking about um, Alice in Chains, Nickelback gets introduced in 2002. Now, Nickelback gets a lot of slack for what they did but and, and the, the sound that they make. Now, I was never a Nickelback fan, but I have to acknowledge that they sold records like 2002 to 2005. Like all you heard was Nickelback on the radio. I own Nickelback records. Oof. My goodness, you were a lot. Wait, in 2002 or like after later? later? It was after that. It had to be. Like, I'm oh, sure I didn't. Wow. I'm sure I heard them. They I, they had to have come on the rock station there, too. You know, there was enough. So, like, you had you had your distinctions in, in rock station. So you had 96.7, which is KCAL, and they were mandatory Metallica at night. Like, every <laughs> night at, I want to say, 9 p.m. It's either 9 or 10. And they were your more, they would go a little farther back. But then you had, like, I'm sure, like, 103.9, which was a little bit more, they were a little bit more uh, alternative, I guess, as well. You'd do alternative rock, you'd call it. And so, like, they would play newer stuff. And then 106.7. I was about to ask, K-Rock K -Rock made it down there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was 106.7. So the only one that I changed, the only one that I would alternate between and this is far too early for that because it was when i was san diego it was 1053 and i can't remember their their identifier but that was the rock station in san diego so once you transitioned that was like san diego's version ah, probably gotcha. of 96.7 that was like their like more like heavier yeah because I, gr I grew up with in la you had like one major alternative station which was uh k-rock 106.7 and then you had like 90s klos if i recall 
And they were the two main stations that were playing like alternative and, and you know, hard rock. My hierarchy was I'd always check 96.7 first. I legit, like my first, uh, my first like credit union, like account that I actually used to like get, you know, put my, my paycheck in when I had a job when I was a teenager, I literally got the radio station on my card and thought I was so cool because they offered the local radio station <laughs> on your card. They had their insignia on my card. I think I still have it in my stuff somewhere because I was so proud of that thing. Nice. Repping the local, repping the local rock station. So yeah, so Nickelback, you ended up getting into. Okay, interesting. Now I did yeah. I don't. I I do like. I don't like. They're not like a catalog that I'm gonna say everything they do is good. But there are some standout songs that I like. I'm gonna say it here, here on the podcast, to our thousands of listeners. Right, millions maybe. Fingers no, no, crossed. come on, let's be humble. It's just a couple thousand. Well, when they come back though to check our earlier work. Oh yeah, yeah. For oh, those yeah. of you who are catching up to our earlier work, welcome. Welcome, our millionth uh, listener. We appreciate you. That's a good call there, Gabe. You're right. Looking ahead. little inception there. So I know you weren't into rap, but you couldn't have missed Eminem on the radio, right, in 2002? No. Not only could I not miss him, but I had friends that were, like, super into Eminem. So Lose Yourself comes out in 2002. That fucking song I remember just was everywhere. I think even, like like alternative rock stations were playing that song. yeah no he broke through there too he did he did um he had, had the, for it he had he had the best-selling album that year with the eminem show but yeah so it was it was the year of of uh of eminem and i think he might have gotten an oscar for that song too right for best soundtrack song or something like that or or because it was written for the movie which i didn't yeah. bring i didn't bring up in this one because i was going to bring it up in a different episode but yeah but i think he he might have gotten that too i'll double check but yeah, so Eminem, you couldn't get away from. You still got it. No, you no, still no. got it. All right, let's take, uh, let's talk tech and toys. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City comes out in 2002. I know you were playing that on the computer, right? Yeah, so I'm sure there was lag time, so it had to be later because it prior they prioritized their console release at this point. Still, I want to say probably three had definitely been come over. I was probably playing three on the computer or had it on the computer at this point. I, I would guess. And uh, yeah, I that I would have been, I, I knew that one was coming, and I had friends with consoles who probably already had it. There you go. The second generation iPod with twenty gigs of memory comes out. Twenty gigs. Twenty whole gigs. You know that like three years ago, the the built-in apps and storage and whatever. Uh, uh, operating system. Yeah, the operating system was like seven gigs. You know. In 2002, we were, we were, we were uh, messing with a 20-gig iPod. I had my first MP3 player, I think, was like like 256 megabytes or something like that. What is it, like five like It was songs? small. <laughs> it wasn't even like a 5, 512. Like, I mean, I, initially, it was a hand-me-down, right? Like, the way I got into, like, digital listening would be... My brother had bugged me forever, right? He wanted me to listen to, uh, he wanted me to start listening to some audiobooks. I was like, couldn't be bothered. And so he finally gave me like a hand-me-down, like his older, because he'd upgraded to something that was like, you know, probably like 512 megabyte or something. He'd gotten a bigger one. And then, you know what? It was, it was, it got to be the point where I had to keep switching out regularly because of the size limitation. Like I, I can only put so many things on there. So that's, that's what finally got me into the cycle of buying MP3 players. Yeah, I think if I recall, like it was three to five megabytes per song, right? Like, yeah, probably something like that. So, like Maybe. on a on a two hundred, you could fit 
how big could they be? I feel like I probably have some music on here. Hang on. I think Let's it's look. I think it's three to three to five. I want to say. Yeah, that's about right. This is about four and a half right here. This song. So yeah, I mean, like, what are you looking you at? Probably. Forty songs, forty-five songs, maybe. You get you get some of these Metallica songs, and they're going to be uh, eight point five megabytes. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Well, you could you could get in two Metallica albums into your two hundred. Uh... <laughs> um. So this one's going to blow you away. Do, do you recall the phone company Sanyo, the manufacturer? Yeah. Yeah. In 2002, Sanyo releases the first cell phone with a built-in camera. So at this point, I, if I had any technology, I can't, like, it's hard to be sure because pagers had to be a thing, obviously. Yeah, yeah, because I was using pagers in the late 90s. This might have been about the time. So if it wasn't, it would have been soon after this that I got my first pager. This is a function of my mother wanting to be able to reach me wherever. Like if I went with friends, did a thing, wherever. So like I had to know these like pager codes, you know. I literally had like a little <laughs> placard, like a little card that had like these codes that were like pre-chosen that someone had decided like nine 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 means because it wasn't a, it wasn't a fancy one. You couldn't put actual messages. Those were right. those are too fancy. Those were two way tiny, two way pagers. Yeah, a little tiny silver pager, and. uh it was, you know, if you get the message, and then if it's nine one one at the end of the thing, it means urgent for whatever that particular code was. So, you know, back at this time, I would have actually had like people's phone numbers memorized. You know, I would have known oh, my mom's phone number. I would have known her work phone number. I would have known my grandparents' phone number. Like, I can't even. I know my number. It's only because I've had it for like probably like sixteen years now. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I was uh, two thousand two. I was on base, and I had a Nokia brick, the the little brick. So and I had AT and T because it was the only one that the only company that had good reception in Camp Margarita. <laughs> oh, man, so I had to switch cell providers when I was on Pendleton for the for the coverage reason. Yeah, I had to switch. Um, I went down there with T-Mobile when I first went down there. In of course it's going to be two thousand and six, uh, and no coverage. Literally, I, like yeah. where where I lived, no coverage. And when I talked to them about it, they were very unapologetic. This is before I guess this is before people officially supported, you know, the military and cared. They were just like, "Well, you can break your contract. It'll there'll be a penalty, you know, or we could pause your service." And I was like, "Yeah, break it." So I paid my way out. That's when I switched to Verizon. I was with Verizon for a while after that, years, even after I left because they actually had the service wherever you went. Yeah, for me it was AT&T on base, and then when I left uh, I was a truck driver and AT&T sucked and Sprint became my number one. Sprint was all over the country, dude. It was amazing. 2002, the first Bluetooth wireless headset is also coming out. Come a long way there. Right? Isn't that insane, dude? I uh, didn't get into Bluetooth wireless headsets until they took the jack off my phone. But <laughs> 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 That's how long it took me to get into that. I So when I was, uh, I think I was the same way. I think when I became a truck driver, like Jabra was a big thing and they made some really good headsets for wireless. And But it was still like yeah. a, it was like a, a, a Star Trek, like, you know, seven of nine piece on your, on your, on your ear that, you know, you came, came <laughs> yeah. down your side. But, uh, but I remember like, I remember using it then and then it became, but even now though, like, uh, you know, you can't get on a plane and still watch a movie. You still have to plug in, stuff like that. So I've always carried the ones that, that do both. All right, so we're at the... We're towards the end now, so let's go ahead and close it up with some celebrity gossip. Charlie Sheen and Denise Richards marry in 2002. 
I don't know. If Definitely you... wasn't on the radar. I think she was on the radar for the movie um, Wild Things, um, which was like, you know, one of those racy, basic instinct style movies. Mm. Uh, Definitely wouldn't have been able to see that. Oh, yeah, that's true. You would have been underage. Nope. Yep, that would have been inappropriate. Um, and and it wasn't one of the movies you were buying PG-13 tickets for and, and sneaking no. into? Even you were like, no, no. Uh, Comic book movies and Star Wars movies, yes, but not uh, erotic thriller. The movie that sticks out, and again, this is farther in the future, but the movie that sticks in my memory when I actually think of the the time that sticks out the most, it was to see one of the Resident Evils, because it was rated R, and I bought a ticket to, what's it, uh, one of the Underworld, probably one of the Underworld sequels, which I'd already seen. But like, I went with my friend, and he was like old enough to buy a ticket. But they wouldn't. They this 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 theater was being a stickler. They were like, "Nah, you can't buy a ticket for someone that's under it. Like, we need the person here to buy the ticket." Because he went up to buy. They're like, "Nah, you got them both here." So when I went up and bought, I had to buy a PG thirteen. So one of the underworlds made the cut, and I just walked right into the Resident Evil. <laughs> then you have um, Tom Green and Drew Barrymore uh, divorced. They were married. Hmm. Yeah, that was a thing. Huh. This is a good one. This is one of my favorites, actually. Nicholas Cage and Lisa Marie Presley, which is uh, Elvis Presley's granddaughter, they were married in 2002. They were also divorced in 2002. <laughs> I knew that. I knew the other shoe was going to drop. I didn't. I, you know, just from the buildup and just from the people involved, I had a feeling that the other shoe was going to drop right immediately. Oh uh, yeah, that was a good one. And then wow. uh, I, I actually completely forgot about this or maybe just didn't know, but Alanis Morissette and Ryan Reynolds were a couple for like five years. They were dating. Ryan Reynolds was in the type of movie that I wouldn't get to see until much later, oh, generally the, speaking. The Van Wilders? Yeah, I saw Van Wilder it, like literally in college, in classroom. So again, this was later. Oh, like, wow, that is later. We had like a day where the teacher in my English class was like, look, there's a bunch of birthdays this month. There's like two and there's a couple around. So like, we're just going to take one day of class and we're just not going to do anything productive. And people brought in like food and drinks. And we literally watched the, like the director's cut, whatever the the one, the uncut one of Van Wilder. And then we watched another movie too, which at this point escapes me because Van Wilder made that much of an impact. Yeah, no, Van Wilder was amazing, dude. I love that. Fantastic. But yeah, so in closing, Gabe, uh, what are your um, what are your thoughts on 2002 so far? So 2002, like interesting. Um, it it was it's like right at the end there where I'm finally starting to have a little bit more autonomy when it comes to this, you know. And I'm I'm actually, you know, we've got a little bit like you've got some internet, we've got uh, some friends who have some influence there. They're able to tell me about stuff that's going on. So I think. Uh, it's a it's a real uh, uh, fun time, and again, like I'll have a lot of fond memories of that period of just there being things going on. You had your Lord of the Rings and your Star Wars, and you know there was it felt like there was a lot happening in in my pop culture sphere, even. Yeah, and I think when I think about it back for me, because I was stationed on base, it was like weekends. You know, like weekends, I I would go down to visit my family in L.A. I would. Uh, potentially during the uh, during the uh, the week, if we weren't out in the field, like some of us would go to the movie theater in Oceanside. I remember watching like The Ring that year, but for the most part, it was a year that we like I was keeping up with things, but I definitely wasn't as involved just because there was just not enough time. You know, like you have, you know, you're you're out in the field for a month and you come home for the weekend or for a week. 
you're not going to spend it in a movie theater or like going to a concert. You were just like, I need to see my family. I need to drink and I need to get stupid just for a week. Yeah. There's always a, that distinction. I've always had to uh, explain to friends, like you can have a nine to five job, even in the Marine Corps. If you're in, if you're in the right place at the right time, you can have a job where, you know, you put in for time off sometimes and stuff, barring a deployment, but not in uh not in an O3. No, not at all. Uh, this has been episode one, and we'll see you next week.